You're listening to the Leadership Upside Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck Carriger. On this podcast, we discuss what successful leaders are doing, saying, and thinking. Now let's dive in. Our guest today is Paul Boyles. Paul is an executive coach, trainer, and human resources consultant with Paul Boyles Executive Coaching. Previously, Paul served in senior human resources roles for well-known national and international brands. Paul, welcome to Leadership Upside. Hi, Chuck, and thank you so much for having me on the show today. I really appreciate it. Paul, you recently made a large career transition. As a starting point to our conversation, tell us a little bit about your professional background. Sure, sure. I got my my first start in, in human resources back in 1985. Uh, with a fairly large mid-Atlantic supermarket chain. And, and what I did is the first role I had, I, I went around to stores and, and hired people for the stores. I had uh, responsibility for about 80 stores in three states. I traveled quite a bit. I was on the road pretty much five days a week, uh, but it was a great, great opportunity to, to get into HR for my first job. Um, from there, and that was 1985. I, I stayed there doing that for about two years. I'd been with that company much longer than that, but in that role for two years. From there, I, I went into the casino industry. Uh, 1987, the casino industry had really just started to take off in the Atlantic City area. Uh, and I reached out to a, a former colleague that had been with the supermarket chain and, and now with one of the, the leading companies in the industry, Caesars at the time in Atlantic City. And asked him, did they have anything? And he said, of course we do. We'd love to have you join us. So I, I went down there um, and stepped into a, an employment function and, and quickly advanced in the role and, and became their employment manager for Caesars. Uh, loved what I did, really enjoyed it. Large operation. But we, we became specialists. The, the operation was so large. We had 5,000 employees. Everybody was a specialist. We had a benefits manager, an employment manager, a compensation manager. I didn't have the opportunity to uh, to get generalist experience, and I really wanted to be a generalist. So from Caesars, I, I moved on and I went into state government, believe it or not. Um, and, and that was a, a crazy transition for me, but it was a great one. It, it was an opportunity at the time in New Jersey, the, the court system, and I worked for the superior court system in New Jersey, they were uh, a county-based entity, basically, and as of January 1st, 1995, they were going to all become state employees and a state entity, and, and that's exactly when I joined them, right at that time. And it was a, a lot of change, a lot of transition, uh, loved it, enjoyed what I did, but then my wife and I had a baby come along, and uh, that changed everything. Uh, we decided when she was two, my daughter was two years old that we wanted to raise her in Pennsylvania, where I grew up, where my family was. And we, we picked up and moved to Pennsylvania. And I, I got my first job in manufacturing. And uh, again, a big transition, a big switch, but enjoyed every bit of it. And I worked for a large Swedish company. Um, they, they, their tagline was, we're gonna be the world's largest leading lock maker. So they bought about 130 companies in about a eight year time span door companies, lock companies, hinge companies, you name it, they bought it in the US and really around the world. But at some point, they decided it was time to start consolidating some of their operation. And they decided this factory that I worked in in Pennsylvania, they were going to move it up to their North American facility in Connecticut, their their corporate headquarters, basically. Um, I didn't want to go to Connecticut. Uh, 
And at the same time, they had an opportunity in Lenore City, Tennessee. I had never been here, didn't know what to expect. Uh, I came here and I can't imagine ever going back up north, in all honesty. That, that would be unfathomable to me. It, it just wouldn't happen. So I worked with uh, EL Locks and Hardware in Lenore City for about four years. Uh, this same parent company at the third year decided they were going to move that factory to their North American headquarters up in Connecticut. And we didn't want to go. My wife and I looked at each other and said, no, we, we like the, the culture here. We like the people. We like the climate. We're staying put in, in Tennessee. So I took my chances and, and I landed at Belconca USA. Uh, we're an Italian porcelain tile manufacturer. Uh, this is our first and only U.S. operation. I joined Belconca eight and a half years ago. Um, my, my former boss at Yale thought I was crazy. I had two opportunities to, to go to, and he, one was an existing long-term manufacturing entity in, in Loudoun. The other was this brand new facility that had never had an American operation. We hadn't even broke ground yet. And he said, you're crazy. What, what are you thinking about? Go to the established place. You're, you know, you're 55 years old, ride it out till the end and, and you're good. But I, that wasn't in my blood at that point. I, I wanted the, the new adventure and, so we, we launched Alconca USA almost nine years ago at this point, and uh, it's been a great experience. But but this year, I, I decided I was going to branch out on my own and and start a new business, and, and that's where I'm at today. Uh, well, I look forward to, to hearing more about the new business. I want to ask a couple of follow-ups about your career path. Sure. A couple of things uh, jumped out uh, to me. Uh, first, um, what was working at Caesars like? Um, you know, it, it, because, uh, for many of us, uh, if you take a trip to Las Vegas or, uh, Atlantic city, you're very familiar with the Caesars name. It's an iconic brand. Right. What's it like to work there? It was a great experience. It was a lot of fun. I was young. I was single, right? That makes a big difference, but really HR is HR, no matter what industry you're in, no matter what operation you're in. Um, it really is all the same thing. It's all dealing with people, etc. Caesars was a great employer, and and they clearly at that time, from uh, eighty five to ninety five, probably they were the leader in the market, Atlantic City by far. They 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 were the employer of choice. There's no doubt about it. Um, so it was a great experience, a lot of opportunity, and and for a young person, and I was fairly young when I was in this role, I had a lot of responsibility. I, I really did. It was kind of impressive when I look back at it now. Um, great operation, uh, good people, and I dealt with every level of the organization. I mean, the president of the company would would talk regularly with with folks. I mean, it was just that kind of a culture, that kind of a uh, uh, that's the best way I can describe it. The culture was was really good, uh, and I still have contact with a lot of those folks from my Caesar days. I, I really do. It's it's funny how we've all gone our separate ways, but still remain in touch with a number of them. Cool, Paul. You've made some career changes, and we're going to obviously speak of the most recent change. But for just a minute, if uh, perhaps a person were listening to this and they were debating a change. Um, you know, maybe not opening their own uh, business like you've done, but they're going to make a change. And you've made a few uh, during your career journey. Um, getting words of wisdom or do's and don'ts, um, things to look for when you're a person's weighing out 
hey, do I make a move or not? You know, you described a, the move you made that your former boss was um, a bit surprised, like, hey, that doesn't make sense. You know, the safe play is to go where there's an established business. You're uh, aligning yourself with an organization that, you know, hasn't been open for business yet a day, and they may not make it. Um, Any thoughts just on advice you would give someone who's considering a career change? Sure. Yeah, I think, and that's the one time I didn't listen to my former boss. I got to tell you, because I respect him immensely. He's a a wise man. He's a visionary leader. He really was ahead of his time or is ahead of his time. But, you know, I think, you know, do your research, do your homework, um, get a trusted mentor that, that you can speak to, that you can trust and, and meet with at Cracker Barrel at seven o'clock in the morning, multiple times, whatever it's going to take, or that you can call and say, hey, I've got this question. I, I'm not sure about something. Um, the other thing I did is, is I, I spoke to trusted friends. I said, I'm thinking about making this switch. What do you think? What advice can you give me? What direction do you have? And and the important thing I said to each one of them is, tell me why I shouldn't do this. Hmm. What's What am I not seeing? What am I not looking at? What am I missing as part of this evaluation process? Basically? And that's what it was for me. It was an evaluation process to, to come to this decision. Paul, I want to tap into your um, human resources expertise. Uh, currently, many industries are facing extreme challenges in attracting and keeping the staff members they need. I mean, it's an epidemic proportion right now uh, in the workplace. Um, Virtually every industry, I say virtually only because there's always an exception to these things, but the industries that I'm working around and with on a regular basis are facing this challenge. It's an employee's market to the max. Uh, Jobs are plentiful. What should companies do to set themselves apart in terms of attracting new team members? It, it's funny you asked this question, Chuck. I was at a, an HR meeting last night, and the speaker, large Knoxville entity with over 5,000 employees, if I said the name, you'd, you'd all know who they were. And she talked about what they did, pandemic, and even now what they're doing with this employee shortage issue and and problems they're facing. And she talked about, we looked at pay, benefits, scheduling, perks, everything. And they threw everything on the wall and said, you know, let's brainstorm. What do we need to consider? And and, and what can we actually implement and do and, and all that? And, and I think that's all valid information. I think it's all very important. Um, but I also think, you know, what we're doing now, we should always be doing or always have been doing. It, it's really about treating the employees with respect, building that culture, that that relationship that everybody's looking for. Um, you know, I everybody can offer a certain level of pay or a certain level of benefits, et cetera, but it's the environment that you create that I think helps attract, retain people. We all can't be the employer of choice per se, but at least have that reputation that people do want to come to you. And there's lots of ways to do that. I think mostly though, it's, it's relationship building. Paul, let's pull the string a bit on the um, stay part of that equation, employee retention. Why do employees seem to stay longer at certain companies or even departments within a company than they do in other situations? It is true that certain organizations retain their employees overall longer 
than competitors do with basically or even exactly and sometimes not as strong of incentives. You know, we all think compensation. What's the what's the you know magic potion on employee retention? Yeah, I, I wish there was the magic potion. I think it's a, a lot of things, a lot of factors. And and I think of my, my days at Caesars, in fact, um, our, our turnover in the industry was relatively low compared to our competitors. And, and part of that was the culture we had built, the, the culture that had developed over the years. Uh, people were proud to work there. you know. And, and I think your question kind of leads to that when you say, what was it like to work at Caesars? Everybody thinks that is like the ultimate or whatever it might be in the industry. And, and it was at the time, there's no doubt. But I, I think it's it's not just the pay, not just the benefits, not just the compensation, the scheduling. It's everything, how they're treated, how they're respected, uh, what kind of relationship do they have with their supervisor? Uh, does the supervisor, you know, walk the talk? Is it really happening or is it just, you know, verbiage and, and words coming out of their mouth, et cetera? Um, all of those things have to play into success because you're right. In some companies, some departments have incredible turnover, you know, unbelievable high or unbelievable low and others, you know, they're not matching the rest of the company. And, and that comes down to that leadership role. Sometimes it's the job itself, but a lot of times it's that person in that leadership spot that's, that's driving everything, I guess you might say. Paul, manufacturing is large in Tennessee. It's a big part of the state economy. It's certainly important in um, this region. So for a moment, let's focus specifically on a manufacturing situation. As a former uh, human resources senior leader, uh, and as someone who, in their first job, you hired people exclusively, and I, 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 as you were talking, I began to wonder. I wonder how many people this this guy's hired. How many people has Paul hired over the course of his career? I, I couldn't even. Uh, do you have a guess as to that I, number? I, you know, I, I really don't. I, I mean, I can tell you. I don't know, and I didn't directly hire, for example, at, at Caesars, but we hired a thousand to fifteen hundred people a year. Uh, even in the supermarket business, we were hiring a lot of people, a lot of part-timers, um, always trying to staff stores and, and some of them, it wasn't for them. So the, I don't have a guess. I don't know what the number is, but I'm sure it's pretty significant. Well, I, th- I think it's safe to say at this point, thousands, uh, you know, at, at this point. So in a manufacturing setting and you're hiring for an organizational leader, what qualities or skills are you looking for in that person? That's a great question. That, that's a great question. I, I think, you know, everybody likes to think, uh, you know, let's make sure they have the technical skills we need. And obviously that's important. That's critical. Um, they've got to know what they're doing. But but I think what we're really looking at are qualities and, and, and what do they bring to the table for us as an organization? Um, you know, and I think of a, a characteristics of a supervisor. And, and one of the things I've read recently is, Empathy is right up there. It's it's one of the number one or two as far as employees are concerned. Can they be you know have empathy with me as an employee? Do they really understand what I'm out here doing and and living every day? Um, good communication, good listener, and and they're easy words to say, but much harder to execute. Sometimes it's you know I, I want to make sure that that when an employee is talking to me, 
I truly understand and I truly care about what they're telling me, but also I want to make sure that they understand or know that I do care. You know, that communication loop has to be a full loop, a full circle. I want to make sure that they really get it. So good communication, good communication, good listener, uh, empathetic, sincere, thoughtful. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into to being a good leader. Um, and, and the technical skills are there too, of course. They have to be. Yeah, that's good. Um, and and I, I totally concur with the significance of listening. I think it's one of the ways any of us communicate value in another person is when we give them our attention. And uh, we their voice has merit and meaning to us. Their opinion matters to us. I think um, sometimes there's a, a, a bit of a... Um, a misperception on the employee front that that we believe, hey, if I give my opinion to my supervisor, we'll do what I suggested we should do. And I was doing a training earlier today, and I was with a group of leaders, and just remind that question came up. That's why it's yeah. so fresh in my mind. And, and I just reminded the group that, hey, I think in order to make that not feel like a disappointment, because if I believe Hey, if I just tell Paul my perspective or the change we should make or what I would like to see in this particular situation, uh, when next week rolls around, I'm going to see it. And um, many times that's not the case. Sometimes we hear an idea from an employee and it's just awesome and we can implement and give that credit to the employee and point back to them. And man, what a boost that is for morale. I think we owe it to our staff to say, hey, I'd love to hear your opinion. Um, ultimately, I'll be charged with making the decision or whoever such and such is the decision maker, but we need your opinion. It doesn't mean that in this case, we'll be able to utilize everybody's perspective, but we need everybody's perspective. That way, hopefully, no one walks away disenfranchised from that experience uh, when we're we're really trying to get people on board. But you're spot on about listening. Um Paul, let's let's transition to your most recent transition. You made a career change. Uh, you started your own venture, Paul Boyle's Executive Coaching, and likely many of those listening has thought about doing likewise now during this season. Particularly, I think we're seeing a lot of people make uh, career changes, uh, maybe start their own business, do something different. Now or in the future. Can you share with us about that journey and how did you ultimately determine it was the time? It's time to do this. It's probably not something you you had, you know, just an idea one day and took action the next day. How did you get to a place where you knew it was the right time? Okay, yeah. I, I had thought about this for a while, maybe a year, two years, you know, that, that hey, as I, as I move forward in my career, this is what I'd like to do. Um, the timing for me, there, there are probably two factors that, that played into that. Um, one is that, that in this past year, I had two health issues that, that popped up. Um, and, and at the time, they both seemed pretty significant. Luckily, today, thank goodness, everything is fine. There are no problems, no issues. But it really started making me to think and to contemplate, you know, what am I going to do and when am I going to do it? The other thing that, that kind of fueled it, I guess you might say, the decision is, 
during the, the pandemic and, and early days and even, even at different times now, not so much now, but even the beginning, I guess you might say, I was getting calls and emails from other HR folks, HR managers, professionals, et cetera, saying, hey, Paul, can I bounce this off of you? What do you think of this? What are you guys doing? What's your opinion? That kind of thing. So thinking that, that they were coming to me for a little bit of direction kind of amplified the decision that maybe I have some, some expertise or knowledge that, that I could share with others and, and, and give back a little bit. So that's really the, the reason for why it happened now. I, I just thought it was perfect timing for me. This is, this is it. Hey, Paul, from a business standpoint, and I, and I want to talk uh, in a moment about the executive coaching component. But from a business standpoint, you've been uh, you've made this transition now for a few months. Yes. Any lessons learned from a business uh, standpoint or from a generating business, uh, you know, uh, winning customers, so to speak? Any lessons learned that you would share if someone driving down the road right now and they're thinking, I'm going to do that. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I've always wanted to restore old cars. I've always wanted to, you know, paint uh, uh, houses. I've always wanted to landscape. I've always wanted to, you know, um, build fly fishing, uh, you know, uh, uh, lures or whatever. What lessons learned do you have in launching a business? Yeah, I, I as I said earlier, I, I found a great mentor who, who helped me kind of come to that decision and come to that path a little bit. Uh, I had, and I, I call them my, my life board of directors, these trusted friends that I can rely upon, that I can go to and say, what do you think? And I look to them for advice. I look to people that had done this type of thing already, you know, that had launched their own small business. And, and I, what failures did you have? What did you miss? What were your successes? Why did it work or why didn't it work? That kind of thing. Um, small business centers or small business assistants in, in the counties, uh, great operations in Tennessee. Great. And in fact, here in, in I live in Maryville. In Maryville, there's an a entity called Sky City, and, and it's a, a launch pad for folks that want to launch small businesses. And they have tremendous resources. They have a, a program called Co-Starters, which is a great opportunity. Um, but but things like that. I, I did my homework a little bit. One of the, the things that, that folks told me, and I remember somebody telling me specifically, is create your timeline. You know, what milestones do you want to achieve by what date? What do you have to have in place by certain times? And I set up, and I'm a, I'm a, a data kind of person sometimes, I set up an Excel spreadsheet. Okay, where do I want to be? Here's the milestone. Here's the target. Here's what I want. But the, the key piece of advice I was given was, don't set that so far out that you'll never pull the trigger. Because if you do that, you will never pull the trigger. Um, so it's got to be realistic, reasonable, fair, et cetera. And then, then go for it. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen if you've got everything, if you've got your ducks in order, so to speak? Yeah, that's great advice. And um, I appreciate that last word of encouragement. Hey, what's the worst that can happen? Well, you know, it could not work out. And, you know, you still have your professional background that hasn't changed. Uh, you still have a network of people that hasn't uh, been diminished. And a person can um, make an adjustment and, and go in another direction. Um, great advice. I appreciate you sharing it. 
Um, why did you select executive coaching? You'd spent a, a lifetime professionally in the HR world, and part of your business is HR consulting. Yes. Uh, but, uh, that, so that's a, a viable uh, strand of your business. But you're also doing a lot of executive coaching. Why executive coaching? I, I think you're exactly right, Chuck, though. But, but one of the things that I've always been told is my strong suit is my people skills. And, and I think over 35 years of experience, I have encountered, I think, probably every kind of situation, problem, challenge, et cetera, that, that anybody could. And I've worked in all sorts of industries from hospitality to, to manufacturing to state government, all size organizations, small family-owned businesses to large corporate entities. Um, and, and I just thought coaching was where I could best give back. Um, and, and I don't mean to sound arrogant, but but I think I have some some knowledge, some expertise, a little bit of wisdom that I can help, you know, the next person come along and make their life a little bit easier, you know, whatever they want to do, whether they want to advance in their, their current role, whether they're having challenges, uh, whatever, or maybe they're a new leader and, and they really, this is new to them. I can assist them in that process as well, I think. Paul, what's your perspective on leadership being a something that we can learn and grow and develop and improve versus a innate skill um, where you're, you either have it um, or you don't, Um, you know, it's innate um, or it's developed. What's your perspective on that? There are arguments made both directions. Sure. Yeah. I I personally think it it can be developed. Um, I think, you know, some things might come naturally to some people and that's okay. That's great for them. But I think, you know, all you have to do is, is look at the bookshelf at Barnes and Noble about leadership. And there's, there's a million books about that. Um, look at the, the coaching business itself. I mean, there are folks utilizing coaches that wouldn't have thought to use them five years ago. Um, and because they know the value of it the importance of it. And, and I think that just lends itself or, or, or supports the idea that this is something that can be taught and developed and grown over time with some life lessons, of course. But I, I think absolutely. I, I think the idea that somebody's naturally born with it and, and you know, they're, they're going to be a great leader off the bat. I, I, I don't subscribe to that theory all the time. I, I just don't. Excellent. Excellent. Paul, let's, let's pivot back to human resources uh, a moment. HR is a, a incredibly important and seems to be booming field uh, right now. Um, maybe it's just like many areas of the workforce. Um, a number of the people who have been in those senior HR roles are, are uh, beginning to near retirement, and we need the next batch of human resource uh, leaders uh, coming through, what advice would you give to someone who was considering human resources as a college major? Is there thinking about a career in HR or in HR? Somebody who didn't go the that route of getting a degree in HR, they have a degree and they want to get into human resources. Uh, can you speak a little bit about the field itself? Sure, sure. I, I think it's a, a great field to be in. I mean, I spent my life in human resources and, and I love it. I mean, there are days that are challenging and, and all that, but but I really do love what I'm doing. I think the HR role, when I think back, 
35 years ago, my, my boss's title was personnel director and we were the personnel department. And today, you know, we have uh, chief human resources officers and we have VP of people titles out there. HR's scope and importance has grown significantly within, you know, the last 10 years and even more so probably in the last two years with pandemic situations. Um, our seat at the table, so to speak, is a lot more critical than it was than it's ever been, than it's ever been. And I think that's even more so. You see this employee shortage. So, and I throw that in quotes, um, the, you know, the staffing issues that companies are having, that, that's a focus directly to HR and developing the culture and developing the leaders and all that. It's all on HR's plate. It's right in front of them. So I think, you know, anybody that looks to this as a career, great opportunity, um, a lot of challenges, but a lot of rewards too. Very fulfilling type work, you know, if that's your niche, if that's what you like to do. Very good. And would you say that starting as a generalist is the way to go? And then if there becomes an area of your passion or greater expertise, you begin to specialize? Or do you think the HR generalist is the way to go? For me personally, I I wanted to be a generalist. I, I didn't want to be a specialist. I wanted every day to be a little bit different mm-hmm. um, is what it comes down to for me personally. Uh, but I, I think that's a very personal decision. I think getting that journalist experience is great because then if you do want to specialize in something, at least you've had a taste of every little facet or every little aspect of HR and you can decide, okay, yeah, I really want to get into labor relations or I really want to be a compensation person for the rest of my life, whatever it might be. So having that broad generalist experience in the beginning is, is probably the starting point. And then, you know, focus in on what you want to focus in on, or, you know, you, you become a generalist and, and have broader scopes of responsibility and bigger organizations, whatever it might be. Paul, I want to tap into your expertise, both as a coach and uh, using your HR experience. Um, and I want, to, I want to talk for a moment about the topic of burnout. I personally am having a number of those uh, conversations with people who are expressing um, an interest in that discussion and and oftentimes alluding to some aspect of burnout, Um, sometimes from coaching clients, more so um, in a a recent season where I've done more speaking on well-being and professional uh, professionals in demanding fields, being healthy and a lot of people, when that's over, will will come up, and frequently the term burnout is used. Uh, what actions should leaders take to sustain the rigors of organizational leadership, i.e., how does someone avoid burnout? Sure. I, I think it's important that there, there's balance, of course. That, that's critical. Um, and, and I think that that's the individual's responsibility, but it's also their leader's responsibility at times to say, you know, I see you're driving yourself way too hard. You need to pull back a little bit. You need to make sure you're enjoying what you need to enjoy at times. Um, and, and I think, you know, and, and it could be a lot of things. It can be more, more development. Let's get them to more training, some, some seminars, some conferences, give them a coach, whatever it might be to help them sustain the productivity that you need or want and, and not burn out and not stress out over every little thing, et cetera. So I think there's a lot of factors that go into that, but but I think it's a matter of balance and, and being healthy and wise and, and listening, 
you know, for me, listening to my wife, you know, when she tells me you got to dial it back a little bit, that's good words of wisdom coming from somebody that knows me well. Um, so I, I think there are some ideas that I would have, and I, I don't know if that's everything, but just some thoughts. Yeah, I appreciate it. Excellent. Paul, is there anything else that you'd like to mention uh, during our time together? No, I appreciate what you've done with this. I, I listen to the podcast every week and really enjoy it. Um, the business that I have launched is, is obviously executive coaching, uh, provide some training services, whether it be individual one-on-one or group training for you know, teams, et cetera, um, HR consulting. And, and the last piece I'm, I'm launching is a HR, or I'm sorry, a manufacturer's management monthly form so that manufacturing leaders can get together in a, in a peer group in a safe environment and talk about common issues. And hopefully we can brainstorm and, and educate and, and learn from each other a little bit. And we'll be doing those in Blount County, Loudoun County, and, and Monroe County uh, just to, to get like-minded people together. And, and hopefully they, they establish a network with each other that they can talk to each other anytime they want, basically. Paul, I think that last component is not only great for your business. I think it will be very successful. I think it also is a much needed uh, opportunity for leaders to get together with a, a group of other people who will better than anyone else understand the challenges they face. They're traveling a, a similar road. So uh, kudos. That's a great idea. Paul, thanks again for me on Leadership Upside. Thank you, Chuck, so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Leadership Upside, where we discuss what successful business leaders in diverse organizations are doing, saying, and thinking. Today, our guest has been Paul Boyles. For more information about Paul's coaching, training, and human resources services, please visit his website, paulboyles.com. Until next time on Leadership Upside, I'm Chuck Carringer. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today. Head over to chuckcarringer.com for more information.